When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Welcome to Time Track. This is episode 36 of Time Track. Everything's better with time in front of it. Um, that's our theme for tonight. Anyway, my name is Tim and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And in a special treat, we have Jonathan Kuline in Ottawa, Ontario. Greetings from our nation's capital. Enoch, cold, Ottawa, very, Ottawa. very, very icy Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. I sit mere steps away from our Nation's cradle of capital. democracy here. Uh huh. Where? Yeah. Justin said to say hi. Justin said hi. Uh, okay. I wasn't wasn't sure which Justin you were referring to there for a minute. Well, you know, it does drive fast, but me, you never know. Me and the PM, we we tight. Yeah, you and the PM. All right. She's fanfare or something. I don't know, but yeah, I'm waving a Canadian flag. It's like uh, six feet tall. You can't. You should see it. It's a hell of a thing. Well, as you remember, we used to make Canadian flags. So yes, there there you go. Well, you cannot throw a stone without hitting one here, or since it's Ottawa, a snowball. That's true. That's true. At least you can go skating on the Rideau Canal. No, I guess you can't. I, I could. Um, I it was an option, except that uh, the I've been here for well all week long, and yeah. uh, at night oh. the temperature gets down to damn near minus thirty, and um, yeah, not that's so much beyond my comfort zone for my uh, attire that mm. I brought with me. So that's not happening. Oh, you didn't bring like warm winter attire. I brought warm winter attire, but I think my definition of warm winter attire and Ottawa's definition of warm winter attire do not align. Right, right, okay, all right. Well, let's dig in. So, do we have some fact check this week, Jonathan? Yes, oh, indeed. It's all my fact check, I guess. Well, right? uh, well, no, I added. A couple things to yours, but if you, I can do it, I don't or you see can do what it. you added. Oh yes, you added. You added a couple things. I added guess. a couple things. Yep. All right. Well, we can dig in. So, Cardinal, the TV show, which which I mentioned tonight. By the way, we're recording on February twenty eighth, and this is the season finale of Cardinal. So, you have to watch it on some sort of streaming channel if you watch it. But anyway, at four fifty five, I mentioned Cardinal taking place. Some of they keep mentioning Algonquin, and we have a big Algonquin Park north of north of uh, in the north end of Toronto or of Ontario, I should say. Uh, but apparently, it takes place in the fictitious. town 
town of Algonquin Bay. So when I looked it up, there is no Algonquin Bay. Um, at 7.18, we were talking about baseball for some reason, which I, I'm almost stupefied by the fact that we get onto baseball. I thought it was uh, Stacy Keach was the name I remember, but I was think, I get the name Stacy Keach and Dennis Quaid. They're kind of crossed in a vortex in my mind. Um, but Dennis Quaid played the rookie in 2002. That was who I was thinking of yes, last week when we were talking about the rookie, which was the TV show starring Nathan Fillion. And uh, Jonathan, you've added or some stuff here as well, right? Yeah. So Dennis Quaid played the rookie in the baseball movie, the Disney baseball movie, The Rookie, about a guy who, in his 30s, tries out for uh, to be a baseball player and makes the baseball team based on a true same, story. Same idea as the TV show with the cops. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I may mentioned Rookie of the Year, which was a 1993 baseball movie about a kid who breaks his arm and ends up being able to throw 100 miles an hour and joins the the Chicago Cubs. And then I. Said, oh, wasn't that uh, wasn't the rookie the movie with Albert Brooks? And nope, the movie with Albert Brooks that I mentioned was a 1994 movie called The Scout, which also starred Brendan Fraser. So Canada's we, own Brendan Fraser. We really did not uh, do well by the baseball movie. Uh, and the Natural starred Robert Redford. We did get that right. Yes, that one. That one we got right. But uh, and that was actually uh, Glenn Close's first movie, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was. There you go. To mention that during the Oscars, which I'm sure we might talk about later. Yes, I think that might come up. Right. So yes, that's, there's your baseball movie update we will now no longer refer to baseball movies on this podcast right, right. especially when they confusingly of... have single names like the and then pick something the yeah. rookie the, the natural, scout the, the scout, rookie the, the natural podcast. the pitcher <laughs> yeah field of the, the dreams stapler. yes the field of dreams yes okay the field right. of dreams the eight men out right 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 uh and uh so 30 minutes in we were talking about jessica jones and i mentioned uh when we were talking about it being canceled that uh that it may have been on its way out anyways because series creator uh with the series creator was leaving and we could not remember her name her name is melissa rosenberg of course she is uh very very talented she wrote uh many of the episodes and series creator for jessica jones the series on netflix which is no more after its third and final season coming up right now i wrote down marvel moratorium because you guys mentioned it around the same time but i didn't didn't get a chance to go back and investigate what that was about any ideas oh, moratorium that's why it says was Mar- it the two-year gap we mentioned that was like oh. contractual oh, yeah. card that when they end a show it can't show up anywhere else including Disney's own Disney Plus for like two years and we, were, we were unclear precisely where that two years starts like beginning of season end of season date yeah. of cancellation that sort of thing yeah I don't think there was anywhere right. to, to verify that I think that was just something that leaked out after um, Daredevil was cancelled they were saying that it was it couldn't appear anywhere else for two years but they were not clear if that was applying to all series and we weren't sure if that was applying to uh, two years from the date of cancellation or two years from the date of the last series of cancellation and so yeah we, we can't verify that all we have to do is just stay tuned and see if one of those shows turns up again on well Jaime will have some news later about Hulu and see how that turns out at one hour and 18 minutes and 18 seconds I mentioned the I was talking about the man in the high castle on Amazon Prime which I've been watching and the main character one of the main characters or several of them actually is a, is a gentleman named Rufus Sewell who you've probably seen in many many shows he usually plays a, a drunk artist or, or a snidely whiplash type villain anyway in this one he plays an American Nazi, and he is, and of course we're using, we're playing our favorite German game, which is if you want to name something, you know, and you want to make it really big and exaggerated, just keep tacking on uh, words to make it bigger. So he plays the Obergruppenführer, yes. which I believe is senior leader, senior best leader, or something like that. Um, and and spoilers for for uh, season three because he becomes Ober Obergruppenführer in season three, so which I 
which I've just got caught up to. So they're lots of fun in, in terms of how they, they come up with these. I don't know. These real, you know, Jonathan, these are real names or they're just they just the f- are in fact, German yes. is a compound language. There are many languages in the world that do this, but German is a really nasty one for doing it. So they, uh, they compound words. They just glue them all together. So, uh, if you lived on something, something, something street, if it was like, you know, I live on two doves and a salmon street, they would literally just glue all that together and make it into one giant word, uh, including the word street. It's not pleasant. It makes yeah. learning the language very, very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like, I make and pre- appreciate this from an objective. See, we do the same thing with our class names, right? So just keep and, bolting stuff on there. The yeah, wordier, yeah. the better. Exactly. The more we call it self document self documenting code, right? Um, all right. So I guess we'll jump into the headlines, and I think how many you're going to lead off today? Yeah, right. Right on theme with this uh, very podcast, and that is uh, Star Trek Discovery is so doomed it's getting a third season before this season is even over. So you can look forward to to more Star Trek Discovery. And uh, there's a note here about Michelle Paradise taking over as the uh, fifth showrunner. She's one of the show's fifth. current uh, co-executive producers. Yeah, here's so from this article. It is uh, Brian Fuller, Aaron uh, Harberts, Gretchen J. Berg, Alex Kurtzman, who is a current showrunner, and now you have uh, Michelle Paradise. So they they switch showrunners uh, every few episodes, it seems, based on... Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's almost an anthology series, like uh, uh, I think Kurtzman won it originally, or maybe Brian Fuller. I can't remember who won it that. Yeah, it's funny, you know, that, that After Trek show doesn't seem... Is it on uh, CBS All Access? Because it's not on Space anymore, the the wrap-up where they sort of do a, a mini podcast at the end of the end of the show. I haven't looked for it, but I also don't remember seeing it promoted in the like originals section of CBS All Access. Oh, really? Yeah, because so. it was... It was American, American, American produced. Um, I forgot the name of the young gentleman who was running it, but uh, I know Gretchen was on it a few episodes when she was a showrunner. That's just why I'm surprised that there were that many showrunners. All right, so yeah, I guess we'll, let's talk about the Oscars for a minute, then, Jonathan. We can we can talk about your point and we can throw in some more stuff. There you go. So uh, I'll start with the uh, the nerdy stuff to to kick us off. So uh, of course, Oscar night was uh, a few days ago, and uh, Black Panther walked away with three Oscars, none of which were in the glamour categories. Of course, it didn't win for best pick and it didn't win for uh, you know some of the some of the high end ones that you kind of hope if it was going to have a big breakthrough um, but it did win for let's see it won for best original score best costume design and best production design it was nominated for best picture best sound mixing best sound editing and best original song that was the Kendrick Lamar song um, so a good showing I mean you know a nice breakthrough uh, it was the of course we talked about this the first sort of of those Marvel cinematic movies uh, big time comic book movies to get nominated for Best Picture, um, and it was shown, shown lots of love, but um, in typical Oscar fashion, it seemed a little bit like they were just sort of, you know, you can have a few of the less prestigious awards, and we'll save the good ones for the films that we like. Uh, meanwhile, we got... Uh, well, hang, our, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, you want, so to, I, you want to dive into you, this one? Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to point out that I did I did sort of semi-predict that I didn't think Black Panther would really get a, win an Oscar, and the reason I say that is, is I have 30 years of watching Oscars, and um, I remember watching the Oscars when the greatest movie of all time that was ever made, end of sentence, period, Star Wars was nominated for a few <laughs> awards, and it only won for editing. So I have been disappointed for 30 years, so I was not you know, I learned from Frank Zappa, expect nothing and you won't be disappointed when you don't get it. Um, 
So yeah, I didn't. I didn't think. I'm surprised that Black Panther won any, to be honest with you, right? So, and, yeah. and the same thing, same holds true for Bohemian Rhapsody. I was actually shocked that they won the Golden Globe for that one. Yep. Yeah, and, yeah. and it is a bit of a disappointment, but then it's quite predictable for anybody who sort of follows along with how the award stuff is doled out. I mean, it seemed very unlikely when they they you look at the rest of the candidates for Best Picture and you look at the rest of the candidates for uh, you know the major awards. Um, it didn't get nominations for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor. It didn't get a Best Director for Ryan Coogler, which is kind of a shame because I think he did a wonderful job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when you see that stacked up against it, and especially when you see the other contenders all have their best directors and their you know all their star-studded lineups and everything, you, you kind of see the writing on the wall. But it's it is disappointing to it just does feel an awful lot like we put this in here so people will watch, as opposed to we really considered this as what it you know was, which was a really really well-made movie. Right. And by the same token, though, if you if you look at the kind of movies that the Oscars and this is the Academy, don't forget this is like all the senior yes. you know. Wizened old people in Hollywood voting for this stuff. Yeah. You know, Green Book totally was was a, a real. You know, it was almost a shoe in. So so would be the uh, the um, was the uh, the one that um, Coleman won for. Uh, oh, the favorite. The favorite. That would be another type of movie that I would expect to win an Oscar. You know, yeah, Roma, Roma perhaps, absolutely. You know? yeah. Alfonso yeah. Cuarón walked away with three out of four Oscars. I mean, true, not, not a bad true, night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not. But yeah. I mean, and but I mean, we did make history because this was the first superhero movie to be nominated for best picture right so yeah but again this is exactly what you know the backlash against there only being five best pictures was in the year it started really earnestly in the year that the dark knight came out and wasn't nominated because exactly that was a a blockbuster and b people were like oh this is a level above what we've seen before christopher nolan made a masterpiece how could you not recognize that especially with the performance that ended up winning an oscar uh for um heath ledger heath Heath ledger uh you know it, it seemed like there was a lot of people saying, you know, how could how could that not be among the top movies that year? And that sort of spurred them to say, oh, well, what if we expand this category so that we can have up to 10 finalists for it? And that way more people can put, we were an Oscar nominee on our packaging for our DVDs and, you know, oh, that's use it as a sales pitch and everything else. But part of that was an appeasement so that they knew that if they could still continue to nominate the five movies they wanted to nominate as Oscar voters, which are always going to be the the artists and the favorites and the, you know, I mean, like the uh, the the sort of prestige movies, but they can also throw a few bones in there and, and put the get outs and the and the Black Panthers and the movies that they don't necessarily want to be there, but they know will attract people's interest to their program. So maybe I'm a maybe I'm a cynic. It didn't but get out win last year. It won best original screenplay last year. Oh, okay. it, did, it didn't win any other awards. Right. What'd you think about all the time, eh? Yeah, I was having a hard time predicting. I went in thinking, okay, it probably just given the way the Critics Choice Awards and the Golden Globes went. It probably should be Roma that wins, but... Hollywood being kind of old school, it sets a real bad precedence for them if they acknowledge that a non-theatrical film, um, like for realsies, like I'm, I'm pretty sure Roman had like a limited release somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it to had to have one to qualify. qualify. It had to appear in a theater for, I think, a certain number of screenings or a week or something. Yeah, it played in the yeah. Toronto Film, t- the TIFF Theater here for a number of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that was presumably, and I don't know, because I, I could be saying the wrong thing about Roma, but a lot of these that Netflix has tried, like with Beasts of No Nation, I was like, all right, let's just technically check the box here so it will qualify. 
um, but they're not wholeheartedly and earnestly putting it into theaters. Um, even though it's the future of film, ultimately, I think, I think that I could not have seen Roma winning just because the Academy would be like, well, what does this mean for theater and film? Yeah. So I was like, all right, it's probably I not. I don't film. know. I, I definitely think that film is, I still think film is an, an art form that needs to be seen on a big screen. I mean, like I, you know, I waited my whole life to see uh, Time Bandits on, on the big screen and I was, it was phenomenal on the huge screen. And I've only ever seen it on VHS or, you know, DVD or high def te- television, but to see it actually, you know, 40 feet tall, you know, is an amazing movie, right? So I, I think, I think that, you know, I know people don't like to go to theaters and it's a hassle and you have to stand in line and they have crappy popcorn and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's the, you're there for the visual and the audio effect of what these directors are trying to put in front of you, right? So. Oh, oh, for sure. So I'm not arguing about that point. I definitely agree. That's why on this very show, we'll talk about like, oh, this movie is going to be way better. Go see it in theaters. Don't, don't wait for DVD or streaming. Um, but I can see that the future will be more on demand, more simulcasting yeah, yeah. type stuff. Well, I didn't um, know that the Oscars had this. Did the Oscars have a rule that you had to be some, so many times it's shown in the theater to be a contender? Yes. Yes. Oh, to, to qualify okay. for being in the, uh, in recognition for that, you have to have aired in a theater for, I can't recall, we can look that up for fact check next week, but there is a qualification period. And I recall that just because I think it was um, Kevin Smith had mentioned that in one of his podcasts at one point, and that it was certainly not in relation to one of his movies, all due respect to Kevin. It, he was talking about somebody else and something, again, I think they had to put it in the theater for a certain number of showings. But he's in the Academy, so of course he has he a He is vote, in the Academy. So he, Again, he, he's a, he was the executive producer, one of the executive producers for Goodwill Hunting, which won uh, you know, several Oscars. So. Oh, is that how you get in the Academy? Uh, well, if you are, I think there is a certain amount of qual- qualifications. I don't know if you can just sign in, but for him, I think he's listed in there as a producer and a director. I think uh, as a previous winner, too, maybe, right? He hasn't won. He has never been nominated or never won. But you said he was executive producer. He was executive producer of a movie that won several, but I don't know if that was enough to qualify him or how that how that works but i do know that he was he he uh, and scott are both uh, scott Mosier, his producer are both oh really okay in the academy but mm-hmm. i think like you get you get your membership i think based on your category and i think you get to vote for your category so i think kevin and scott can vote for the things that they have been involved with uh you so they wouldn't necessarily have a vote for best actor but they would have a vote for best director i don't I, again i'm not sure how that works but well because i thought it was really odd that like the the buster struggs movie the the coen brothers movie yeah and roma i I know we're both, they both came out simultaneously, like not like a week delayed or whatever. Yep. You could watch it at home or you could go down to the TIFF light box in, you know, on, on King Street and watch it. Or I, I think we were playing in other theaters too, right? But yep. and I, I wondered, obviously that's the rule, but but I, it just seemed odd to me that you would do that, right? Well, as you say, some people I think want to have the experience of seeing these. I mean, Alfonso Cuaron is a masterful filmmaker. Yeah, And sure. I have not watched Roma yet. Uh, my wife just watched it this week and, and she really loved it. Um, although she did say it was a huge bummer. Um, but <laughs> his movies are so beautiful. I, I could imagine seeing that on the big screen is, is much more immersive experience than seeing it on no matter how nice of television set you have. It's a very different experience, just as you, as you were saying. The other thing to remember for the the, um, the Netflix thing was some people were talking about it as a backlash, right? They were saying, well, Roma didn't win the big prize because the Academy members don't want to just start throwing Oscars at the Amazons and the Netflixes because Amazon, of course, won uh, a couple of years ago for, for one of their movies. Um, so, you know, they're talking about, you know, maybe they decided to sort of punish them. But that being said, they won uh, an Oscar. Netflix a Netflix movie won an Oscar the other night for best short documentary for period end of sentence. Right, right. So, oh, really? yeah. yeah. So they were nominated across a couple of 
categories, I should say. Uh, there was a Ballad of Buster Scruggs was nominated for, in a few categories. Um, R- Rome obviously was nominated for I think nine, um, and, and Period End of Sentence actually won uh, the Oscar for Best Short Documentary. And you can just right. watch that right now on Netflix, and could have have been able to watch it for a while now. So, so they they kind of got their foot in the door there, but I think it also was slammed on them. I think when it comes to Roma, um, you know, to to have had those three other categories, including Best Director but not Best Picture, is kind of a strange seeming slight yeah right all right um the other thing when it comes to oscars that we can talk about is the uh best animated picture category Uh uh-oh uh so best animated picture this year went to spider-man into the spider-verse which as i have mentioned on our previous podcasts i loved i thought it was one of my absolute favorite movies from last year um now that one's an interesting one because when you reflect on that one you have you can't help but love some of these little tasty irony moments so the guys who are behind the Lego movie and behind uh, okay so Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse won best picture uh, best animated picture I should say it's awesome that it won because we are talking about how this thing uh, came out and won an Oscar for uh, Lord and Miller the the writing and producing and directing pair who were fired off of the Han Solo uh, Solo a Star Wars story movie earlier in the year so in the same year that they were fired off that picture that picture came out was the, the lowest rated and also lowest producing at the box office Star Wars movie of all time and widely regarded as meh. Hmm. These two guys put out one of the most original animated pictures in years and walked away with Oscars, wow. which is nice. That's You gotta admit, that's pretty sweet. Now, have you seen this one yet? I saw it, yeah. I, uh, Sherry and I went and saw it uh, over the holidays and it is it is amazing. It is, is truly one of the most unique animated pictures I've seen in a long time. The, the animation style, the way that it fuses different types of art. Uh, it's it's really quite impressive. And it's just a great story. It's just a, it's a really fresh take on the Spider-Man mythos that everyone's familiar with. It does beat you over the head with all that, you know, backstory nonsense. It's just really good. So it's coming out uh, in a couple of weeks on digital and on uh, DVD. I highly recommend people tune in and pick that one up and make an effort because it, it's really, it's a really wonderful, wonderful flick. Interesting. Cool. All right. Well, next on here is it's, it was sort of what we call follow-up but i was talking about um you know toronto city hall stuff being in, in movies and just lo and behold uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week i guess uh, the handmaids from the handmaid's tale were seen uh walking in you know in a group uh being filmed for an upcoming episode of the handmaid's tale um you can see them on there's a ramp that runs down uh you can see in the in the photo in this in the show notes here uh, that's a ramp that runs down beside what we call nathan Phillips square and you can see them marching down there and you can see, yeah you can see a picture of Liz Moth here and you know some quotes from uh, of course as they say they've gone beyond the book but I, I recall last time I saw Nathan Phillips Square or the city t- uh, Toronto City Hall building in the episode they were saying it was Boston so who knows what they'll say about it uh, uh, this in this upcoming episode that we'll be seeing and you're sure it was them and not just uh, women protesting against the uh, provincial government no I think the microphones booms and the, the, the cameras on tracks and uh, and the fact that it's Elizabeth Moth, you know. Moth yeah, they probably a, have to be a few blocks further north if they were protesting against. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this city hall, so who yeah. knows, right? It could be. They could maybe, maybe Mayor uh, Mayor Tory got, got Mayor on their Tory bad side. Yeah, it said maybe he said something weird, and you know, <laughs> and of course, you know, the, when he was questioned about, it, he said, "No, no, of course not. That's not what I meant at all." Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's uh, Canadian humor for those of you who are not following along. Um, I'm sorry, eh? Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Okay. Yeah, here's some have some people syrup and some poutine. 
Palpatine. Sorry about that. All right, yeah, have a beaver tail. All right, anyway, carry on. Carry on. Well, here we go. So now we're going to do a little section I like to call Coming Soon. Ooh. Coming Soon, Space Jam 2. Ooh. Didn't we talk about this already? We talked about Space Jam. Uh, we talked about what Space Jam is, I think, a, a couple episodes ago. And I think mm. I had mentioned that Space Jam 2 was in rumors. And now we have a confirmation that it is officially coming. Uh, it's been long rumored. Uh, they yeah, now no, let me, let, wait, isn't it? Let me guess. It's uh, Who's the guy? Not Michael Jordan. It's going to be... You know, we talked about this. Yeah, LeBron James. We said it was going to yeah, be a LeBron James. So they've yeah. officially released uh, a, a date. Uh, okay, so it's July 16th, 2021. We are going to see Space Jam to the long-awaited, the long-awaited well, So sequel. I have to wait three years before I get to see it? So good news, the movie's coming. Bad news, you'll have forgotten that it's coming by the time you find out well, that I it's think coming. that's the good news. Yeah. And I know you've been waiting for this for a long time, so you'll be excited. I, I, I better go watch Space Jam 1 now, I guess, right? <laughs> Probably. I know Jaime's excited. You know, I did see the original, and uh, I will correct your math, Tim. That's not three years. That's two. You know why? Because oh. apparently I can do uh, a, a twofer in 2021. I can go watch Space Jam in the, in the early afternoon and then go watch some Seattle hockey in the evening. Oh, it's true. Yeah, I forgot about that. I don't know. Here when we hockey go. Starts, whatever. It starts around there. <laughs> Preseason, maybe. What's your pick for the hockey team name, by the way? Uh, I forgot what I said the last time. Something some like sort of sea creature or something like that. The Kraken? Kraken. The Kraken. The Totem. The Sasquatches or Yeti, Yetis. I think I went with Yeti. Yeah, doesn't the Kraken just beg a lot of butt jokes? Like, don't, you know. <laughs> 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 Time to go fill the Kraken? No, it's no. Oh, I just I don't know. Anyways, back to coming soon. Coming soon, Aquaman two for you, Tim. Woo-hoo. Three years from now, Aquaman two coming in twenty twenty two. So Thanks, obviously man. made a billion bucks at the box office. Aquaman one did uh, starting in December, and it's pretty easy to do the math on part two coming. But we have confirmation now; it is officially being done. It is officially coming in twenty twenty two. So three more have years. Have any of us seen Aquaman one yet? In fact, I haven't. I have not. It's definitely on the list when it comes to some sort of streaming service. Uh, that yeah, I can absolutely. Do mm-hmm. Interesting. Coming soon, Game of Thrones Oreos. Oh, that's right. Wait, what? For, for the branding crossover you've been waiting for, just in time for the final season of Game of Thrones, we have news of the Game of Thrones Oreos. That's right. You're going to get your Game of Thrones little little mascots and, and uh, icons all over uh, your favorite stuffed cookies. Coming soon, there's a lovely little uh, thing on Instagram that shows uh, that there's going to be a whole pile of Oreos branded with Game of Thrones logos coming right before the final season on April 14th. Because mm. we wanted that. Yeah. Well, didn't we have Game of Thrones Star Wars stuff? I mean, I mean Oreo, Oreo Star Wars and stuff? Yeah, I think Oreo has done weird crossovers before, but I imagining in my mind what kind of bloodbath the last season of Game of Thrones is going to be, it just, I don't know that Oreos was the first place my mind went. No. Could there not have been a... There not have been a more appropriate food branding crossover, like something with like you know cooked meat or uh, I don't know ice cream, frozen foods. Yeah, like how about some frozen foods? And you can have little pops for kids, you know, those ones that are shaped like candy characters like Pokemon or Spongebob, and they have the little bubblegum eyeballs. Yeah, you can have absolutely. The, you can have the Night King. Yeah, it's a nice frozen direwolf snack. Yeah. Coming soon, the Doom Patrol. So we talked about how this series is coming. Uh, it's, it's out now. It is currently airing weekly on the DC Comics app in the United States, oh, really? uh, hmm. which begged the question, okay, we don't have that here. When will it turn up in Canada? And now we have an answer. The Doom Patrol is coming to the Space Channel in April. 
They are now running promos for it. We do not have a date yet, but it is slated to come in April. And that's right. It's part of our cable package. We do not have to uh, fork over. We do have to pay something for it. Let's not not keep saying that we don't pay for it. it I didn't say it was free. I just said it is coming a part of our cable package. You'll be able to watch it as opposed to being able to watch it uh, only if you have the DC Universe app in the United States, which is a subscription. So I saw a commercial for it during the broadcast of Star Trek just now. Indeed. Um, Who is uh, Cyclops is one of the characters? Who else is in this thing? Uh, Cyclops is, in fact, not one of the characters in this. Well, some guy with a robot eye. Cyborg. is Cyborg. The guy who was in Justice Cyborg, League. Cyborg, okay. Yes, so Cyborg. Uh, Cyborg, uh, let's see. We've got uh, Negative Man. We've got Cyborg. We've got uh, Robot Man, along the uh, Elastic Woman. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of a hybrid of the a couple of iterations of the Doom Patrol from over the years. But it's mm. uh, it's a good it's a good, good, a good cast. It looks like it's going to be fun. Again, it was on my radar that, you know, something I wanted to watch. Uh, it's disappointing that we don't get to watch it at the same time as uh, our American neighbors. But as we've talked many times about on this podcast, you kind of get used to that treatment after a while. So. Right, right. Coming soon, a third Walking Dead series. Oh, that's right. We got news today that a third Walking Dead series is coming. Do we There's, really need one? Really? Uh, well, that's the big question. So uh, this is from Deadline. Deadline had this uh, exclusive today that uh, they're in the quarterly earnings call, AMC Networks confirmed that they are developing an active development a third series hmm. so you guys tell me Jaime are you tuned in for a third Walking Dead series uh, probably not I have not seen Fear the Walking Dead and I'm nowhere even close to, to being current on the Walking Dead so they, I think it would just be a little much for me um, but I guess I can always go and binge it always gives you something to, to work on I guess you know like yeah. I haven't seen I, I know there, there seems to be some sort of um, uh, less than satisfied nature for uh, maybe not just you guys but like across the fan base so i'm a little surprised that they'd uh, they go all in on a third season uh, third series unless they feel like it would free them up to do something in the same kind of vein but without the same restrictions that they've had for i assume whatever baggage they're carrying for many many years of uh, mostly the same characters it made me wonder if if uh, this was the end for the original series it made me wonder if mm. like this they're gonna pilot this one it's awfully hard to run three series even across the same you know the universe it seems like they would might think about stopping the original at some point and just picking it up from there because just the contracts and some of those people have got to get expensive after a while yeah that's true i mean it's gotten a little tired i mean i'm you know i used to watch it i would watch it and, and the fear of the walking dead every sunday night pretty much because there was nothing else to do on sunday nights but there's been other other things to distract me and um it's getting kind of tired. I mean, you know, like like they they had a really bad, uh, really sort of evil, uh, almost too evil um, character in Negan, right? And um, you know, they kind of defeated him, and then Rick kind of left the show for no real good reason. And then Maggie kind of wandered off, like as if she just sort of said, "Excuse, I'm going to the store for a minute," and she, you know, she kind of left the show. Um, yeah, and it got kind of weird with all the different like it, it's it's getting to the point where it's implausible. It's it's almost like a comedy of itself sort of thing right so and uh, fear of the walking dead was was a sort of a refresh a fresh take on well, what would happen in the other parts of the country and that kind of stuff and but they kind of started it at a different point in time and i guess while rick is in the coma at the very beginning of the first series right but um yeah i don't know i mean i'm probably gonna get angry letters and stuff like that but uh you know i, I don't know I, I don't know if i would watch a third one after all this because there's there's so much more better tv that, that's out there to watch that i'm you know missing because I spend my time watching this one. Well, and again, the, the zombie thing, you know, again, the, the the Walking Dead has been a fresh 
take on it. I like the comic book when it first came out. I like the series when it first came out. But there's only so far you can go. And and, and to, to credit, you know, Robert Kirkman on the comic book series and on, you know, on the, the television series, they have had some sort of fresh takes. But it also feels kind of bloated and slow moving after a while. It's awfully hard to keep that kind of thing fresh when it's just like zombie of the week, you know. Oh, we barely escaped that one. Oh, we killed off a tangential character. Once a year, we kill off a major character. Like, eh. Well, a friend of mine who's a famous radio television personality, we asked him about it and he kind of goes, he goes, I, I, I'm not watching that because I, I know how it's going to end. It's just going to keep going and going and going and, you know, it's never going to end. Well, and that was the allure of the series for me. You know, it's certainly been done by other people before it was done by Kirkman, but he's done it very well, which is the, it's the idea of, you know, 28 days later or 28 months later or whatever. The idea of not how do you survive the apocalypse, but how do you continue to survive years yeah, after it's the dealing apocalypse? with the people, right? Yeah. How how do you continue to survive when you know it's not like oh, and somebody's going to come into the rescue? It just continues like it's this is it. This is reality. This is what it you becomes have. a soap opera with zombies. Well, basically. and that's you know that's essentially that's the problem is is that can you continue to tell that story for ad infinitum? Yeah, I mean the Sopranos had to end. Lost had to end. You know. Yeah, I'm not sure I would put Mash Walking Dead in end. the category with those, but sure. What's that? So I'm not sure I put Walking Dead in the category with those two shows but okay in terms of height you mean or quality or yeah what? yeah i mean certainly part of the zeitgeist absolutely but but as far as quality i don't i don't think so <laughs> yeah all right uh, and our last uh, bit for me here. So uh, we got news this week. So Titans, which is a series that was, uh, again, on the DC Universe app in the United States and uh, available on Netflix here in Canada. So uh, we know that they're going to get a second season. And uh, we um, get a little bit of a spoiler for those people who uh, haven't watched the series and want to watch it. I'll give you five seconds for three, two, one. Uh, they've announced the casting of Connor Kent, who comic fans will recognize as Superboy. Apparently he makes Ooh. an a cameo appearance on the first season and uh, so now we get news that yes there's going to be a boy of steel in the season uh, season two of this show so that's kind of neat news so um, Titans is an animated series or it is not it's a live action series yeah so oh, okay. yeah so Joshua Orpin who's a, an Australian uh, actor young actor is going to uh, be playing Connor Kent slash Superboy in season two so cool oh that's what you mean by Connor Kent okay I thought it was an actor for some reason I don't know no 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 Con- Connor Kent is the a- alias of uh, of Superboy, who in oh, really? this iteration was... would be, uh, who would be a clone. He's a clone. Uh, so this this came from the whole Death of Superman storyline back in the oh, okay, uh, 1990s. Right. Superman mm-hmm. was uh, was killed uh, at one point in an effort to try and uh, uh, you know, bring him back or otherwise. They scrape off a few cells and they clone a new Superboy out of Superman's uh, oh, uh, DNA. He is sort of a genetic copy, but not quite the same. And he obviously is younger. So the idea would be that he sort of takes on his alias and loves his own life um, and was a pretty popular character at times and uh, ended up becoming one of the Teen Titans in the Titans series and uh, yeah, it's interesting to see him brought to life in this way. Uh, we've never seen this iteration of this character. He, he has been a character in the cartoons but not action series. Cool. Cool. Alright. So the next thing we've got is uh, apparently coming to BBC One. We have a teaser here for the uh, BBC's Is Dark Material series. You might recognize that as being the collection for uh, The Golden Compass, The Subtle Knife, and The Amber Spy 
Spotted Glass. A very similar kind of thing where you have uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, the uh, the Two Towers, and the Return of the King as the uh, pieces underneath the overarching Lord of the Rings. In case you're confused, I know I was certainly thinking, wait, is, isn't that like a Golden Compass thing? That sounds real familiar. Because I've, I've never read the books. I only saw the, I think it was like 2005 movie that came out uh, a little while back. Uh, but this is going to be apparently an eight-episode season. Um, and maybe a second season? I'm really unclear in this news, and I apologize. But there's a neat teaser. It looks really cool. It looks moody. It's got uh, James McAvoy and um, uh, Hamilton and Lin-Manuel. What's his name? Miranda. Thank you. I couldn't remember his last name. <laughs> So yeah, it's got Ruth Wilson, who's really phenomenal in uh, in Luther as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's great. Yeah. And The Fair, apparently, but I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah. All right, that's cool. So mine is kind of a fun thing. If you have an Android phone, if you have an iPhone, tune into another podcast for a few minutes. But uh, apparently there's, and it's a, there's a video here of, uh, apparently I saw a Childish Gambino Playmoji. Uh, where you can, I don't know if it's sort of a virtual reality experience or whatever, but it's basically Donald Glover turned into like a three-dimensional Playmoji, I'm doing air quotes, uh, for the Google Play phone. And uh, there's a video here of Donald Glover dancing with himself, you know, is, as this uh, animatronic or animated uh, character. So that's the latest thing on your Android phone is Playmojis. What does a Playmoji do? Um, well, in the case of this one, it's, it's like a full body, like a full, you know, arms, legs, head, you know, kind of thing. Looks sort of like Donald Glover, unless you see Donald Glover dancing beside it. And he's just doing all the all the moves that from that uh, that video that he did. Uh, this is America or whatever it's yeah. called. I forget what it was. Um, yeah. So all all the moves he does from that, you know, and, and uh, so you can you can dance along with Donald Glover or, or sorry, Childish Gambino, right? His alter ego. Hmm. Yeah, I view yeah, it as like, kind of the the love child between the Animoji feature on iPhones, where you can uh, they use the face recognition to switch like, oh, I'm a bear, I'm a dragon, I'm the, you know, these other uh, cutesy faces and combined with the Xbox Live sort of more human looking avatars. And then you get something kind of in between where you have a, a cartoony and uh, I wouldn't say super realistic because it's still very stylized. Um, it's more like uh, Into the Spider-Verse style of, of being human and realistic than it is, you know, like a cute teddy bear from Animoji. Right. Cool. All right. And the next piece is kind of very exciting for me. I don't know uh, what you guys did during your lunches when you were kids, but when we were kids, we came home and watched the Flintstones at lunchtime, um, which was a you know a cartoon sort of TV show that was on. I don't know when it was on in the '60s, but it was replayed forever in the '70s, and I suppose in the '80s. Yep. But uh, apparently, Lego is coming out with a the Flintstones set, which includes the house and you know the four characters. Well, four characters. Carol pointed out that there's no Dino, the dog, but there's Fred and Barney and Wilma and Betty, and the, the little characters are kind of cool. They're painted to look exactly like them, like Fred and Barney have that five o'clock shadow they always sort of had, and uh, Wilma's pearl necklace and her, you know, uh, her, I don't know what, leopard skin. Um, it's not leopard, it's white, so I don't know what it is. Snow leopard, I guess, um, dress. And, uh, and of course, the house with the sort of tilted roof and the, the car with the, you know, the, where Fred and uh, Barney are the power source. And if you, and it includes the, the big drive through restaurant ribs that when you put them on, it tilts over the car, right? So that's coming out for seven ninety nine, and it's available tomorrow as we record. Uh, this is February twenty eighth, so March first. It's available for order on the Lego store for seventy nine dollars Canadian. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I assume just 
following on the comment about Dino, it makes sense to have those be expansion packs to continue oh, the series. Right. Dino, uh, there's a notable absence of uh, Bam Bam and Pebbles. Right, right. You know, yeah. you, eventually the collector stuff will go so far, will be like the saber tooth cat that he puts outside True. at the very yeah. end, you know, <laughs> with yeah. an alternate dark scheme of the of the house so you can recreate the nighttime mode. And they got to come out with the record player, which is the bird that you tip over. Of course, we'd have to explain to people what record players are. No, no, they're back. They're back. I know. I, uh, I, I, yeah, immediately when I saw this, uh, the, the link, I, it made me think that, uh, one of the things that, that the Lego company has been doing the last few years is these, um, individual mystery packs of, of figures. So they've done them for their own random Lego characters. They've done them related to the Lego movies and the Batman movie, Lego Batman movies. They've done Harry Potter series. They've done a Disney character series. Uh, I, I immediately flashed to the fact that I wonder if they'll do a, a Flintstone series. They usually do 12 or 15 or, or 12 or 16, I think, uh, different characters. They did a Simpsons one as well. Um, yeah, I'm sure you could easily pick out different outfits. You know, the the, the Loyal Order of Water Buffaloes exclusive uh, Barney right, yeah. and Fred and the Bowling Fred. And, you know, you could do all these different variations. Plus, you can do the Dino and the uh, Hoppy. You got to do Hoppy. You got to do the Great Kazoo. You got to do, you know, all these characters you could whip out there. Mr. Slate, you know. So, yeah, that, that makes makes sense to me, especially if they, you know, if they're still going after that nostalgia market. It's funny, though, that the last few years, like, I've bought uh, and been given several of these, um, the, the sort of cars, the iconic cars series that they've been putting out. And I don't mean cars in the Disney Pixar sense. I mean, uh, they did a Lego uh, uh, Doc Brown's DeLorean with Marty and, and Doc. They did a uh, Ecto-1 with the Ghostbusters. They've done a few of these different sets that are sort of like the iconic cars from different uh, different series. And, and it's funny to sort of think that the Flintstones is now added to that list. You don't really think about it all the time because it was a cartoon, but that is a pretty iconic car. The you know yeah, yeah. sticking the legs at the bottom to hit the brakes, and that's that's a pretty pretty famous car they got there. But isn't it? Aren't these from the Lego Ideas thing? Like where where fans are are putting together sets and then they vote on whether they'll build them, like kind of like a Kickstarter kind of thing. It is. Yeah, it's it's like a, a campaign. So basically, they have this whole uh, this whole thing where you can create your own sets and then you basically put them up and they put them against each other in a popular vote to see which one that should get made and that's how they ended right. up making uh they did a whole one of the ghostbusters original ghostbusters headquarters that way and there's been a few sets over the years that uh, uh people i think that's why they did the women in space one a few years ago too right. yeah that, yeah um or women of nasa i should say um yeah it's, it's you know all these people have these great ideas again it's it's putting the power back in the hands of the people it's amazing what people come up with even i've seen a few of the losing ones and they're amazing <laughs> uh you know some stuff you wish they'd make and some stuff where you look at it and think that would be great but it will cost ten thousand dollars worth of lego yeah 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 you can go bowling with fred and wilma as well i'm just looking through the pictures which i hadn't looked at on the link um and of course you know for four hundred dollars you'll be able to get the big dinosaur that he does takes to work right and digs in the rock quarry yeah of course how are you not going to get that yeah it's, it's, you, know, you get that with your millennium falcon right yeah well i can sit next to my death star which which i which i do have yeah so next up we have a movie that i saw in an imax version once which is really cool in imax so what's that yeah you know if you're a if you're a fan of sci-fi and if you're listening to this show you almost certainly are and if you remember our conversation a week or two ago about um what can happen when streaming services go away well we have the product for you alien will be released in 4k hdr for its 40th anniversary so this particular blu-ray will have the theatrical cut and the director's cut and regardless of what happens to the rest of the world as long as you've got a uh, blu-ray player and presumably a qualified tv to play that you'll be 
good. So I have a question, sidebar, hmm. for a moment. So I have a 4K Apple TV. Does that mean that when I watch the movies I've, I've bought from Apple, I'm getting 4K video streaming down to my TV? If you have, if, if those movies are available on iTunes in 4K, which not all movies are, it will say it when you look at it in iTunes. It'll tell you if it's a 4K movie or not. Some are still just uh, 1080p. Regular, regular K, yeah. Yep. Like, there are high, high defs, uh, but there are ones that are 4K HDR, and um, as long as you have the right connections, you have, obviously you have to have a, a, a HDMI cable that is capable of carrying that signal from your uh, Apple TV to your 4K TV. Um, but yeah, if you have that all set up, yes, then in theory, when you're watching that, you're watching 4K. And it's the same thing. So I've uh, done the same thing with Netflix. So upgraded Netflix. So the Netflix is in 4K. Again, it's not every broadcast, It's but especially a lot of their own content that they develop is actually uh, done in 4K. And yeah, as long as you have it connected by the right signal sources and uh, with the right equipment, then yes, you are getting a 4K signal. Cool. Good to know. All right. Yeah. So I get to watch Alien in 4K. Yes. No, wait, wait, I don't own it yet. <laughs> well, I, I, I would check actually right now. Like, I, I don't know if you could just buy it right now. Like, they're saying this is, oh, you can get it on 4K, you know, uh, for its 40th anniversary. Yeah. I wonder if it's on 4K right now if you buy it through the iTunes store. You can watch it in 4K tonight. Right, yeah. Well, you have like Blade Runner. I'm sure Blade Runner is in 4K, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not everything on their catalog, but it is a, an awful lot. And they did it uh, without an increase in cost, which I think was um, a shocking development considering, you know, obviously that's the model that these things are built after, you know. Oh, you yeah. want to go from VHS to DVD? That's going to cost you. You want to go from DVD to Blu-ray? That's going to cost you. You want to go from Blu-ray to 4K? That's going to cost you. Right, these guys right. just took your whole catalog and said, if we have it in 4K, you have it in 4K. Like, yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, so just uh, another side sidebar. Guess what my get format my um, Blade Runner 2049 is in? Is it 4K? N- well, no, it's ultraviolet. Oh, yes, yes. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, I just took a quick look for our own edification here on uh, on the iTunes store, and the copy that is available currently for the low price of six ninety nine Canadian as a purchase is only HD, not 4K HD. The original Blade Runner, or the uh, no, this is Alien. Oh, Alien, I see. Okay, yes, okay. Alien. You cannot watch in 4K. You can, however, get a a 4K HDR version of Alien Covenant if you were feeling so uh, really? inclined. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. Alien is one of those box. It's been on DVD and box sets. I'm sure a thousand people must own it. I see it in junk bin, junk bins all the time, right? So yeah, and I have yeah. several iterations of it. I, I have it on. Uh, I have the what do they call it? The quadrology. I have the quadrology yeah. on uh, on uh, Blu-ray, not 4K, but on Blu-ray. Which is a shame because there's really only two good movies out of that whole series. Yeah, I I still <laughs> I kind of ride for the third one. I know it gets well, the third one. Yeah, third one's good. Third one's actually pretty it's good. David I, think Fincher, fir- I was going to say the first and the third one are probably. The, be- the best, I think, out of the movies, right? Oh, I don't know. Part two, James Cameron. It's that's a pretty that's a pretty mm, good movie. That's, that's true. That's, I, mean, I mean, like it has its moments, right? Like you know, and, Michelle Rodriguez. A lot of people and, don't know. like the third one because it's got because uh, it kind of undoes the second one. But David mm. Fincher's a great filmmaker, and it's a really like it, it is. It, I understand why people have objections to the storyline, but it's a really well made movie, and mm-hmm. it's really, really, really entertaining to just look at how this man makes movies. Yeah, that's David Fincher said. David Fincher, yeah. Fincher, okay, cool. All right, what's next? Well, Jonathan hinted at this earlier about Hulu. Um, the story here is that Disney is reportedly in talks to buy AT&T's stake in Hulu. That would be a 10% stake for about a billion dollars, U.S. presumably. Wow. And that would give Disney up to 70% ownership, depending on what happens, because Disney already has uh, that's, uh, 30% of Hulu straight up, and it's in the process of acquiring uh, 21st Century Fox, as we mentioned, which would give it another 30%, add this 10 on top, and they have a... 
commanding supermajority of control of that, uh, right. assuming everything goes through, of course. So, mm-hmm. so this would give them a hundred percent ownership. Is that right? Did I miss the math on that? So they they already owned a third. They're going to get the other third from from buying Fox. And mm-hmm. they would get the third third if they get this from Universal? No, this is 10% for oh, it's 10%, $1 billion. Dollars. 70%. So, they 70, yeah, 70%. so the, the total would be 70%. So who owns the other 30%? That's a good question. Alex Baldwin? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Alex Baldwin at, at uh, Cable Town. Is it uh, NBC <laughs> probably that has the remaining? The, the Shinehard Wig Company? Uh, oh, yeah. Here we go. It's stated right here at the bottom. Uh, NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast, uh, noted that it is not interested in selling its 30% stake. But I kind of wonder about that, given that they will lose all the arguments in every business meeting yeah, regarding this. Yeah. So. yeah, like they'll just can't, like Disney would just stack the board, right? Like you just stack the board with your guys, you vote down everything the other guys don't want. percent of what Disney's bringing in though. Hello? Well, that's yeah, it. I mean, that. collect the money. Yeah, no, there's there's a good argument to be made for that. But then again, even for programming, if they're like, hey, put our shows on there, they're like, nope. Like it seems like a lose-lose proposition in the end. Like it seems like it's fait accompli if, if yeah, Disney wants to buy it out. every time Beauty the beast plays you know or yeah but are they going to show that caliber of stuff up there is that going to disney plus oh who knows i don't know all right what's next Next one is a Netflix original that apparently comes out of France, and that is Osmosis. And the the, the concept sounds a little bit like a, that Black Mirror episode where AI yeah, say, yeah, yeah. matches you. Uh, it looks like it's taking a little bit of a different take. Uh, I would say this trailer is not safe for work because it has some nudity. Um, maybe don't even click the link with children around, I suppose, depending on your environment. But um, it, it seems like it might be something worth watching. Again, like, it's so difficult with Netflix because it's like, all right, watch it. If I didn't like it, whatever, it was effectively for because I've already bought into a Netflix subscription. Um, but it, it does seem like uh, it might be a very different take given that it's coming from uh, from France as opposed to uh, you know other sources like the, the UK and the United States. Cool. Well, what to see. What's the, does it have a release date, I mean? Whoops, I just closed that tab. One sec. <laughs> do, do, do. Once the tab is closed, just Where? we move on. Where? Those are the rules. Does it, did it see <laughs> in the trailer? I'm going to have to play the trailer and see if it says at the very end. Oh, no. So I don't think it says fast forward to the trailer. Uh, where? Pro tip. Is that a date? Move this ad so Jonathan, away. how's the uh, March 29th. In, uh, March oh, 29th is when this <laughs> is coming out. <laughs> All right. I couldn't see the date because it was covered up by a YouTube ad. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know the YouTube ads don't show up on my on my thing. I wonder. I don't know. I think I still have uh, some sort of ad blocker installed on my my machine. Must be better know. than mine because I'm using Ghostery and they they come right through. Yeah. No. I think I'm still using. What am I using? Something. Because because every now and then I just I see a box and it's got a little closed thing in it and there's no no little movie in there or whatever a little banner ad or whatever. Anyway. So next. Speaking of Cyclops, as Tim did maybe ten minutes ago now. Um, we have a new trailer for uh, the Dark Phoenix. That is the latest in the X-Men series in the uh, X-Men First Class uh, timeline, which now that I think about it, it's kind of weird that there is like a Prime and Kelvin timeline thing going on with all of the X-Men movies. But they hmm. do tie it together because they did do that crossover one, right? Did they? Oh. They did that cross. Uh, what's uh, Days of Future Past has both the originals and, right. uh, and the yeah. news, right? That's where it feels more like a like a Prime and, ty- and Kelvin, where there is like a split sort of thing that happens. Yeah. So this is uh, hypothetically kind of like a retelling, but actually more of a maybe a reimagining or an alternate version of what ended up happening in X-Men The Last Stand, where the um, the Dark Phoenix power is taking over Jean Grey and the X-Men and James McAvoy as 
As Captain Picard. No, not Captain Picard. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> the other guy. Professor the other Charles guy. Xavier. That's the guy. <laughs> uh, the other guy looks very much like him. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they're trying to take that on. And a uh, reminder, it stars. Um, I do not remember her name. From Jennifer Sophie Lawrence. Turner. Jennifer Lawrence and Sophie Turner. Yes, thank you. I, I was thinking specifically of uh, Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, tie in here. Yep. Yeah. And they've been doing this thing with those sort of, for lack of a better term, prequel X-Men movies, too, where they've been jumping forward in, in increments of time that seem disproportionate to the age of the actors because it felt like they were doing sort of a 60s thing in one and a 70s thing in one and an 80s thing in the other one and it feels like the 90s in this one so uh, it's a little weird a little weird it, it is and i have seen people get kind of upset about that but i would argue that it's more comic accurate to do that because you you take the comics history and they they tend to rewrite it every once in a while so like you know tony stark wasn't in vietnam that wasn't where he got injured because now it no longer makes sense and yeah captain america is impossibly old now, even given the the freezing and defreezing period. So I'm kind of okay, you know. Like if you sat down and binge these and be like, wait a minute, wasn't it the 1960s when this character came out? How old is this person now? Yeah. Well, um, again, one of the first uh, the first X Men First Class happens around the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? And right. then later on, I think in the most recent one, Apocalypse, maybe. I swear to God, at one point they were playing like you know early 80s new wave music, and I was like, okay, so these characters are like five years older than they were in the first movie or six years older than they were in the first movie, but they've somehow leapt forward like 17 years in time. Like what happened here? <laughs> right. They play a little, little fast and loose with where does this take place in with regard to real world time. But um, I view it as more like an opportunity for them to do something a little different, give a little bit of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge at um, nostalgia factors. 60s. Did they do 70s in the... Uh, yeah, I think that whatever the second one was, I can't even remember what it is anymore. Hmm. Days of Future Past. Apoc- oh, I guess Days of Future Past probably was the yeah. I guess that second because Apocalypse is the most recent one that was in the eighties. So sixties, seventies, eighties, and now presumably nineties with Dark Phoenix. Well, the one thing that I will give them credit for is uh, you know one of the things that I think a lot of us very longtime comic fans were a little bit sort of we were so thrilled to have comic book characters come to the screen. But the original X Men movies when they brought them to the screen and they all were wearing the matching black and gold uniforms that were very like non-comic book they were very like oh we're we like your characters but not your looks and they very much went away from the comic book look of the characters i think again we were thrilled that they were bringing it to life we were thrilled that they were putting the x-men in the theaters and we were thrilled that we were down this path because the comic book history before the x-men movies is pretty bleak uh comic book movies were not, were not good well superman was great and and the original batman movie from 1989 you know there are some high watermarks but marvel in particular had just been quite bleak as far as comic book movies we had you know Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher we had you know the the, the aborted uh you know Fantastic Four and Captain America movies that were quite terrible like it, it really was a spotty history at best so X-Men was a huge revelation but it was also a little bit of a you feels like you know the the girl in high school who wants you to completely change to go out with her you know like it just feels like uh, something yeah, yeah. you know it just felt like they were like I like something in you i'm just going to change everything about you and then you'll be fine um i will say that i do love about this sort of revamped uh since the first class came in 
they are doing these time periods, but they're also doing time period uh, reflective costuming and character designs, haircuts. So we get, you know, a storm in the last movie, in the apocalypse movie, where she's got her 1980s mohawk and leather look that she had in the comic books. Um, we had Psylocke in that movie where she's got her sort of 19, uh, late 80s, early 90s, Jim Lee's uh, ninja kind of thing going on. Like, they really are sort of an homage, and I, I'm led to understand in this movie we're going to see uh, Jubilee in a very 1990s kind of uh, motif, and so it, it is kind of cool that they are actually, like, bringing a real vision of some of these cart- the comic book characters to life, you know? That these are a little, little more true to what some of those interpretations were. Who plays uh, who plays um, Storm in this generation? I, I can't recall her name. I'll, I'll look her up here. I was looking up too. Dark Phoenix. Because I'm a little gun shy in closing the tab before Tim asked me. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Al- Phoenix. Alexandra Ship is her name. Alexandra Ship. Yeah, I don't know who she is. Okay. So X Men Dark Phoenix arrives on June seventh. Oh, see, I was gonna ask. Thankfully, where, it was where, helpfully at the bottom of the article and not like I had to scroll through the trailer and avoid, <laughs> avoid the ads. So. Where, where did we leave off on that one for our uh, need to watch versus don't care list uh, when we did our, our uh, first show of the year here? Where did Dark you guys, Phoenix? Yeah, where did you guys fall on Dark yeah, Phoenix? I need to watch. Anything with James McAlvoy and Michael Fassbender is a need to watch. And, and well, and Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. I'm, yeah. I have, I'll be honest, I have not seen any of this generation on anything but home video. I, oh, you mean you haven't gone to the theater and watched it? I haven't gone to the theater to watch any of the four of these. As a matter of fact, I didn't go see, I haven't seen the last the X-Men movies before that. I think Logan's the only one that I've seen in the last few. Um, yeah, I think it's probably the same for me, too. You know, they, they look great on, on my TV, and I enjoy them, and they're great movies. But uh, this whole, like, I guess because they've kind of been eclipsed over this generation by the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because there is the disconnect, and because they are sort of these self-contained little stories, it, it doesn't feel like required watching. It feels like, I'll get to that, which is not good. Maybe that'll change when it, the ownership falls back to, to Disney later this year, but I don't know. And this one in particular, like this feels like the end of the road like they, they have to know that this is the end of this iteration of the x universe if you know they're not going to come back and do any more if this is uh going to be taken over by the mothership mm. oh right true you could go up with a bang kill everybody yeah no i was gonna i was wondering why you were saying that but now i get it okay yeah yeah i mean if you knew if you knew as a filmmaker hey we've got this cast we've got them signed you know we've told this story you know we've sort of got to the end of the road and we know there's going to be no more because we know that the owner of the property is going to take it back and and reboot it, you know, I guess you could pull out all the stops, right? Right. Okay. Let's, uh, I think it's time we talk about something else. Good plan. <laughs> what should we talk about? Well, I don't know. You need time related stories we can talk about? I'm timey wimey. I love me some time, time distortion, time, you know. Doctor Who? So what, what did I put in my notes? Where's my notes? Let's see. Burnham's log. Um, yeah, we got some time rifts happening and some exos, a rift in space time. That's what it was. Yep. All right. So I guess this is part of the show we're talking about, Star Trek Discovery, and we're going to talk about episode Season 2, Episode 7, The Light and Shadows, and uh, da-da-da, the big reveal. So um, I think it's t- uh, Jonathan's turn, yes? Is it my turn? Yeah, why not? All right. I mean, well, I took notes so I can counter counter Mark. Yeah, you feel free to interrupt me whenever you like. Sure. All right. So uh, let's see. We start off with a little, little uh, internal monologue from Burnham, who is packing her bags because she's uh, decided, as we she noted at the end of the last episode, to head home to Vulcan to uh, see if she can continue the search for Spock, which, for those keeping score, has lasted through six episodes. Um, so she's decided that she's going 
going to pack up her bags and she's heading to Vulcan. Meanwhile, the Discovery, which uh, last seen in orbit of Kaminar after last week's very explosive episode uh, uh, with Saru uh, uh, gaining his uh, new uh, rocket launcher abilities in his neck. Um, the Discovery is going to stay at Kaminar because there's uh, a spatial anomaly that is causing uh, some weird uh, timey-wimey stuff to happen outside of the planet there. So uh, they decide they're going to investigate uh, this this rift in space-time that's causing uh, uh, time to play tricks on them. They see a little vision of, uh, of Pike and Ash, a little time echo on the bridge, so they know something's up. So Pike and Ash hop in a shuttle, and they're going to go investigate, and uh, and they get sucked into this vortex and start uh, basically careening through time. Um, meanwhile, Burnham heads down to Vulcan and uh, goes to her parents' place and has a conversation with her mom, and her mom basically confesses, actually, yes, uh, search for Spock is over. I've, I've been hiding him here all along. So we discover uh, that Spock has actually been uh, in a place, I guess they said it's uh, a place that sort of shields the mind so that his father could use telepathy to find him. And uh, he is clearly lost as marbles. He's He's been there, uh, you know, quoting Alice in Wonderland, uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland uh, book quotes and uh, repeating the same weird pattern of numbers, 841947 over and over again. So, uh, and he's grown a, a mighty beard, so he's clearly not well. Right. He's also uh, spouting the, the Vulcan doctrine that's right. or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Amanda and uh, uh, Michael's saying basically like, okay, he's not well. He's got it. We got, got to get him out of here. Like, this is not good. Um, and Amanda basically says, hey, I'm an ambassador's wife. I have a diplomatic immunity and he's not going anywhere. You can't take him. Right. Uh, but then Sarek shows up and says, okay, that's not going to fly. Uh, no, that can't keep him here. It's time for him to go and uh, let's burn him, basically pick him up and take him to uh, deliver him to Section 31, which is an interesting development. His logical reasoning is that uh, they will help find out what is important that's going on in Spock's brain, because clearly it's connected to this Red Angel mystery that's been sort of looming over this whole season that Spock is clearly a, a linchpin to. And uh, if Burnham doesn't take him, she's going to get in trouble with her. Yes, with more Starfleet. logic. So he doesn't want to have lose both kids in one fell swoop. Um, but you're going to talk about the, the sort of the Takmar issue that Spock has being half half human and having learning disabilities. I think you could jump right in there, buddy. Yeah. So the, the, during this conversation where Sarek is talking to Amanda about, you know, they're talking about Spock's humanness and and how Amanda read uh, Spock and uh, Michael Burnham, um, Alice in Wonderland when um, Alice in Looking Glass when he was quite young because he he had trouble, you know, sort of human issues coming out of his, his Vulcan training, and she found that reading him this book sort of settled settled down his sort of more emotional curious mind and so this is what he's doing in in this in this sort of state that he's in trying to sort this stuff out is he's he's reciting the vulcan doctrine in order to center himself but he's also reciting uh alice and alice through the looking glass which gives burnham a clue later on and I'll let jonathan talk about that um but yeah so and that's you know when sarah decides well you you'd be the best person to take him to to section 31 why section 31 is still a mystery to me but there you go yeah 
and as, as uh, I think Jaime pointed out in a previous episode, like the the worst kept secret in this era of Star Trek, clearly, because, uh, you know, by the time they show up in the future timeline, they're this shrouded in mystery, nobody knows they exist kind of organization. But here everyone's like, oh, hey, Section 31, what's happening? Uh, um, so, yes. Yeah, so uh, following that thread first, we'll, we'll circle back to uh, Pike and Ash and their adventures afterwards. But uh, so Burnham uh, does as she is bade and, and picks up her brother and, and delivers him to Section 31, where they basically say, you know, okay, we're going to hook him up to this machine and the machine is going to help him, uh, you know, trust us. This is, you know, we're all on the same team here. We're going to try and do our best. And they basically say, hey, why don't you, you know, head back to Discovery? She says, no, I want to stick around. They're like, well, you really can't be here. Uh, so she's kind of suspicious of what's going on. And while she's sort of, you know, milling about there, the uh, the Emperor basically says to her, hey, listen, you know, between you and me, that device is going to wreck Spock's brain. So uh, you have, you know, two choices. You can basically, you know, leave and let him get his brain melted, or you can attack me right, right here and right now and go and break your brother free um so we get a nice little fight scene between michael burnham and uh an emperor Georgiou, the uh how michelle Fuyo doesn't kick her ass i don't know well i it, it, i think we talked about this in the first season when we had the i think it was the fight scene between Lorca and michelle yo where you know we were debating whether or not muppet she, leg, yeah. she had her muppet leg <laughs> yeah. and was able to either i did not see evidence of any muppet legs in this fight but she did look like a few times like she still got some pretty darn good moves uh yeah i don't know that that would have been a fair fight but uh she was her character was trying to lose so she loses she does burnham uh, knocks her uh knocks her out and basically runs in grabs spock grabs him grabs a shuttle and escapes um and we and we sort of learn that it, you know she, it's intimated at that point that the emperor is doing this deliberately as a you know political maneuver uh to try and sort of you know put her uh superior officer leland off balance so they Wait, take we, off can can we take a minute for some real time fact check oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. what do you got okay so i said takmar earlier takmar is the meditation uh, practice that sarek is doing to bring lost souls home is what he's, he's using telepathic right. powers to do that the latak tarai is the learning learning disability or trouble learning that, that spock has uh you know it's a bit dys- dysphagia or or they call it dyslexia at one point yep. so that's what he has anyway, that's our, our fact check so cool. save ourselves for next week there we go uh so wrapping up the burnham storyline so, so burnham and spock escape in the shuttle uh they take off uh we get this little scene between uh george and leland who uh you know, leland basically says you know yeah you did that on purpose she says you know i don't think you should talk to me like that as a matter of fact i think i'm in charge here now uh and she says why why would i let that happen he says well otherwise i'll tell burnham the truth he said what truth she says the fact that you are responsible for her parents death so that's right. an interesting wrinkle in this storyline that hopefully we'll get uh, some development on soon meanwhile burnham and uh, this number that had been going through uh, Spock's brain, he kept quoting the number 841947. Um, she, uh, Burnham figures out that the number is backwards and figures out that it's actually, uh, she runs it through the computer and the computer basically comes back with, you know, the meaning of these numbers because she figures that it's backwards. So it's 749. Because of the Alice in Wonderland looking glass. Through the looking fig- glass, absolutely. Yeah, figures so it's backwards. She, uh, she figures out that it's actually 749 Mark 148 in spatial coordinates. Coordinates, and those spatial coordinates are for Talos da, da, Four. Da, da. Talos Four, uh, which da, 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 da. sorry, yes, our ooh, fans who are ooh. fans of the original Star Trek series will recognize the name Talos Four, which will have deep meaning for the crew of the USS Enterprise, in particular Captain Chris 
Christopher Pike. That's right. In the near future. So uh, I pulled this up uh, and, and stuck it in our notes. Feel free to have a peruse. This is from our Star Trek official website. Talos Four, Class M planet, home of the Talosians. Thousands of centuries ago, a nuclear war nearly wiped out the entire civilization. The survivors lived underground where they became dependent on illusion-creating technology. The SS Columbo crashed here in 2236. The USS Enterprise visited in 2220, 2254. And as of 2266, contacts with Talos Four was forbidden by Starfleet due to the addictive qualities of the illusion technology. Captain Christopher Pike, however, returned to the planet so he could live out his days unencumbered by his physically damaged body. Uh, of course, that is a, a, a uh, tie into the original uh, pilot episode of Star Trek and tied into the... The Cage. The Cage, yes. The Cage, one of the most iconic Star Trek episodes from the original series uh, where uh, we meet the Telosians. And if, uh, for those people who were lucky enough to watch the little sneak preview for next week's episodes some really good fancy looking telosians coming next week so Ooh, I, didn't, I didn't watch that i should go back and watch it yeah it, pays, uh, it updates for the modern era but you could very easily recognize that that's who they were they they definitely played homage to uh, the 1960s style but now they've got pulsing brains well they had pulsing brains in it and then as well yeah, but now it looks like, gross oh does it oh, okay sorry <laughs> now it doesn't look like a reebok pump you know just like they're pumping in their palms sort of thing yep so we'll we'll circle back and we'll have a discussion about what this all means but let me wrap up our uh, our parallel storyline and in what was a really fast paced and uh, and quick episode this week we, we talked about it. it was actually a little a lot shorter than last week's episode as far as time it only appeared to be about, about 40 minutes total uh so we had left our uh, our heroes pike and ash had been sucked into this vortex of time um but why the- pike why does Pike go pike goes because he used to be a test pilot and he's the best he's the most qualified person he thinks well and he and ash have a bit of a, a a, a yeah. showing event going on there mm-hmm, where they're mm-hmm. they're they're comparing lengths you know the chair outranks the badge right it, yes clearly it does <laughs> yeah mine is bigger than yours and even if yours is black and can call people anyways <laughs> whoa <laughs> <laughs> the badge guys the badge the badge can call people and it's black that's what never mind okay so uh yes so these guys get sucked in there tilly uh and saru are on the case they're trying to figure out how they can track them uh, they are, uh, you know, in this this vortex. Uh, Saru suggests I think that they should loop in Stamets because Stamets has a different perception of how time works, having had his experiences going through the mycelial network. So uh, Stamets is uh, working with Tilly. They're trying to track how they can figure out where in time uh, they can find them. He basically, what's, how, what's the comparison? He says it's like trying to catch a grain of a grain of salt inside a hurricane with a pair of tweezers, trying to track them through shifting through time. Uh, but uh, then he has this sort of epiphany that, you know, oh, wait, I, I, you know, we can actually track them uh, because of my tardigrade DNA. I will uh, transport over and, and save them. Meanwhile, on the shuttle, uh, the, the probe that... Uh, well, the, before the probe... Oh, before the probe. Before the probe, um, they have a big argument, the two of them. And, yes. And, and uh, in fact, Pike even flashes forward and sees himself shooting at, at uh, uh, Tyler. Ash. Yeah, Ash Tyler. At Ash Tyler. Anyway, so... So um, he, but what he he says, let's let's do a plasma burn, and 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 Ash is like, what are you crazy? Where where would you do that? So they they actually says, finally he just sort of says, look, I outrank you. Let's just do this. And so they they blast off some. They basically waste fuel by making these plasma burns as they're flying around inside this distorted uh, t- 
time rift thing, whatever. Yep. Time you want me. Time you want me. Yeah, that, that's a clue for you to finish the story. Okay, and that is how Stamets is able to track them because they are able to find this. Uh, this Mr. Reese. Finds Mr. Them. Reese. That's true. Mr. Reese, our our now uh, famous bridge officer with another yet another person on the bridge with a name, finds them, and uh, so they they are able to track them in this uh, this uh, grain of sand, uh, grain of salt scenario. Um, so he maelstrom, I think, is the word you're looking for. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so they they had launched this uh, probe to try and examine what was happening in there, and this probe basically shows up and attacks the ship. And the probe looks an awful lot like the Sentinels from the Matrix. Yeah, it, it crossed not? over into the Matrix universe. It, yeah. Into, yeah. <laughs> So they they basically say like oh they run a scan on it and or it was looks... it Doc Octopus I don't know yeah pretty much it, it, uh, it I guess it had it had moved forward in time by five hundred years and had been upgraded and then sent back in time just like V'ger it you know if only it had said V'ger on it but that would ruin the <laughs> space time continuum well it could have said perb perb or you know Sentinel um, so this thing comes back and it basically it attacks the shuttle it attacks the two of them uh, and that's where they, we get the scenario where uh, uh, Pike has to take a shot at Ash, it's because the the probe is actually attacking him. So he's actually taking a shot at the probe to get it from hurting Ash. Um, but this thing embeds itself in the uh, da- dashboard of the shuttle and starts sucking all the computer information out of the hard drives. And uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, Stamets and uh, Tilly run down to the transporter room because Stamets has the genius idea that using his tardigrade DNA, he can track how to find them beam over to them in a 10 minutes in the future of their time, which is very yeah, weird. Yeah, he's 10 minutes ahead of them or something like that, but they can see him and talk to him. But Yeah, so he basically beams himself like, you know, this miraculous Hail Mary beams himself onto their shuttle. And as he's, trust the math, Jonathan. And says, trust, trust the math! And <laughs> Tilly trusts the math, and she beams him over there, and sure enough, it works. He shows up on the ship, uh, on the shuttle, pilots them out of there, but the probe is still attached to the front, and it's sucking all the information out of them. So they end up on the periphery of this timey-wimey vortex and uh, sure enough as Ash predicted when they wasted gas the gas runs out so they're going to get sucked back into this vortex um, and they end up uh, getting beamed out basically at the last second but not before this uh, probe basically leaps over from sucking the information out of the computer on the shuttle to what looks to be beaming itself like assimilating Arium the robotic uh, Officer yeah. on the the bridge of discovery, he gets this sort of weird, like flashy flashes in her eyes, and clearly has been like, I don't know what, taken over, rewired, yeah. well, computer, computer virus, virus. Computer yeah, virus. yeah. yeah. She's, she's she's an augmented human, so she has computer bits in her head. Yeah, so she's she's been assimilated by whatever's happened here. So now we've got a uh, rogue agent on board who may or may not be connected or tied to this red angel who we established in this episode and at the end of the last episode is somebody from the future using some future tech. And uh, so the series, uh, that storyline sort of ends with uh, Pike basically saying to Ash, you know, you're right. I I was trying to overcompensate for, you know, missing out on all the fighting when I was off on my mission with the Enterprise. You know, maybe I don't have anything to prove and, you know, maybe we can all get along and kumbaya and they, I don't know, they hug or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting to even even talk about how Harry Mudd talked them about about space travel, space time when he, when he came and did that thing where he attacked the 
the ship. Mm-hmm. So here, let's play a fun game. This is a fun game. It's a new game for watching Star Trek Discovery episodes, and, and let's see how many other movies they ripped off making <laughs> this episode, because they, they ripped off Star Wars when um, Burnham and Spock hide in the asteroid as they're being searched for. They, they hide in an asteroid field, right? Um, they ripped off uh, Spider-Man, The Matrix, with the Doc Octopus monster thing, right? They yeah. ripped off just about every time distortion, time field, time, even just, I guess, a Deep Space Nine with the with the wormhole thing, right? And it even looked like the time distortion thing from the from the reboot where Spock comes through from the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of thought that they would have they would have Spock come through a time hole at some point because that's what they did in the J.J. Abrams reboot. What else did they rip off? They ripped well. They ripped off their own show. They ripped off the Talos Four Cage stuff, right? Um, no, no, it's an homage. It's an homage. Well, it's, it's not an a homage. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an homage. Quite, not quite a rip off. Exactly. Uh, they they borged Arium a la First Contact. Right, right, yeah, um, that's true. That's worked, yeah, and uh, yeah. So it's it's like the 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 plot. The the writers basically borrowed from like at least five or six different movies. You know, like they had the Matrix we talked about with, Listen, the, with the Sentinels. Trust, trust the math, Tim. This is you got to trust the math. Oh right, yeah. I forgot about the math. <laughs> yep. So, what were the standout moments for you guys in this one, and and how did you rate it overall? As I say, a very breezy episode. Yeah, it was pretty quick. I actually, I I kind of enjoyed it. I you know, I, I, the, I, section thirty one kind of almost bores me, but um, you know, because it's like that, oh, that was the one they ripped off the the one where where Kirk and Spock and those guys go down to the planet and they have that um, rehabilitation machine where they supposedly they they apply like you know lights and whatever, and it's supposed to re rehabilitate the criminals and make them good and the but the the criminal dude takes over the the prison planet and mm-hmm. uh he's like a master criminal or whatever and he puts kirk onto it and tries to suck kirk's brain out of it right so that was sort of what this machine that they were putting spock into it reminded me of although we didn't get to the lights part and that was good it was a good episode i thought you know again i'm a sucker for anything with a time time distortion in it you know it, you know as, as she said everything's better when you put time in front of it so and she kept trying to she even said time tsunami at one point she goes oh that wasn't that doesn't quite work as well but they did get hit by time tsunami at one point or they were about to when they zapped off into into space mm-hmm. the final frontier mm-hmm. so how many have been awfully quiet well, I think Jonathan did a really good job of recapping the show. Um, it went really quick. I guess that was partially running time, but I also felt entertained as well. So I rate it, you know, having just, you know, seen it not that long ago, a couple hours ago by now, um, I definitely think it was maybe one of the better ones. I, I don't know that it's as good as like the second episode of the season where they went to the church. Um, right. But I, you know, I, I could definitely see some problems. Like I, I wouldn't be mad if a lot of episodes were like this. Uh, they can't all be. I think you need room to breathe. Uh, other notes I have here, um, you, you covered the, the space dyslexia, which is what I had. I had um, Sarek and Amanda need some severe marriage counseling, <laughs> just given their relationship <laughs> and how and how things work out for them. I um, uh, thought it was interesting. I, I wrote uh, Thor's hammer is the, the way that the probe worked once it got inside and sort of like, like as if the computer console was Thor's hand reaching out for Mjolnir. It just like looked like that sort of style to me. And, uh, oh. <laughs> I couldn't remember the numbers because I didn't, you know, during one of the first breaks, I didn't quite get them. So I wrote 8675309 to myself. There's a 30% chance that somebody would have written it down, right? Yeah, sorry, thirty-three yeah. percent chance. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I was also curious about how the uh, going to Talos Four, which I definitely recognized, would 
what that would mean given the um, the penalty for going there and the uh, Pike's 10-year Instagram challenge that doesn't turn out too well for him, uh, given how good he looks right now. Yeah. <laughs> that is the thing about this season. It's a little weird, too. You know, as much as it's nice to sort of feel the connection, and the, obviously the first season, we didn't have that as strongly. So the stakes are high, right? You know, when it's it's the Firefly thing. We, we've, you know, talked about that as sci-fi fans. You know, you can kill off characters if you create the characters. If you're using characters that are from pre-existing material that have a future after this, you can't kill those characters. So the right. risk factor goes down. So we know they're not going to kill Pike, and we know they're not going to kill Spock. I mean, like, that takes some of the edge off of this, where, you know, like, Pike was in, you know, the timey-wimey thing today. It's like, what's, what's like, how bad could this get? You know, we know this guy's going to end up as a vegetable in a chair at some point, you know, like, really, his worst is yet to come. Right, uh, right. So, you know, that that I think that it does take kind of the edge off this a little bit. So are we guaranteed that this is going to lead, is this, like, really going to lead into the, the, the original series? Is that where, like, I, I guess that's the setup, but, you know, like, the the original Enterprise TV show kind of skirted around that a bit, too, right? Because they had tech more advanced than, than the original series as well. Yeah, yeah. they had different tech, though, because, again, their transporters weren't fully functional, but they had the grappling right. hook, and right. you know, there was sort of some ups and downs. Again, it's unavoidable. The problem is, is that, you know, you know, as a writer, you want to be able to write yourself out of problems. That's why being a sci-fi writer so awesome because you can be like hey what if they had a device that did that yeah, you know yeah. when you're writing for a series that's a prequel to an established series of canon you're gonna end up in traps from time to time where you're like you know what would be great here if there was a ferengi <laughs> yeah, right. what if the borg showed up like uh no we already said the borg didn't show- what if the borg showed up like all right let's bring out the <laughs> borg costume exactly okay this week we've got no budget what what do we have in the costumes closet well we've got some borgs and some ferengis great dress somebody up as a Borg and a Ferengi and get him out here. Let's get John Delancey on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, cause I kind of, I kind of, I think, I think I'm kind of spoiled by JJ Abrams cause he kind of, he stuck true to the character of the people in the, in the, 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 the world, but he's kind of gone off script in a sense, you know, cause he's not married. Like, cause now with, you know, with, with Vulcan being gone and, you know, yeah, he's the, rewriting history as opposed yeah. to like, he's, he's sort of trying to keep some of the notes, but, well, I mean, and you could say you could say that you know the butterfly effect of Spock coming back from the future broke the Star Trek universe, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, because then we saw that in Into Darkness, right? It was the whole you know Spock doesn't die, Kirk dies, fighting Khan at a different period in time. Oh, really? Hmm. Have you seen the film? Kirk dies. Kirk dies. Yeah, they and... do the reverse of uh, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, that was the whole like punchline of that movie was that Spock is the one who ends up you know he ends up in like a fist fight with uh, Khan to get his blood to try and keep yeah. Kirk from being really dead and oh I see okay right okay yeah it's been a while since I saw that movie yeah they had the Star Wars you know the the fighting as they're driving through the you know the yes. floating car scene yep but, you know. that is the exact one <laughs> yeah not not maybe the best Star Trek film of all time but uh, but yeah again uh, obviously once you hit the reset button in one point in history it's that whole you know yeah you're right butterfly effect right you can just sort of keep the ripples just keep going right yeah so 
For good or for bad. For better or worse, exactly. Yep. All right. By the way, I didn't watch the Orville. What? I know oh, we talked you, about it. You, you probably should. You, you probably you've should. Gone, you've well, you've we gone can... this far, Tim, and you've, you've got enough of the context for what's happened this season to make this first part of the two-parter worth watching. Okay, so... So I, you say. All right. I say we press pause on that one, and we'll do a recap of both parts next week, because I think it'll be good to digest the whole thing as a whole. I was thinking uh, about before we started recording this one, I was like, is there a way for us to all watch the second part beforehand, but no, it won't be on until too late our time for Jaime to watch it. I think we should see how this all wraps up because this was the first episode this season of Orville. I was like, you have my interest. Yeah, a lot of fans on on the Reddit were calling it the moment when the Orville grows its beard. Uh, yeah. Referencing <laughs> Will Riker growing his beard and getting much better as a character in the yeah. show. As a yeah. Really <laughs> yeah, no, this this was like a, a step forward for that show in my mind. I, 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 I still I do you you go to you know you look at Reddit and places like that referring to the Orville. I know you're a, a, probably a bigger fan a at this point. On Reddit for a minute too. Yeah. yeah. So, so Jaime, you're probably a bigger fan right now of Orville. I would say than than maybe Tim and I are. Um, mm-hmm. I do you get the sentiment that there are there's still a very strong ride for this show because I, 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 some people seem to really love it. Yeah, I, I think it's either going to give you that um, comfort food feeling like Kraft mac and cheese. Or it doesn't, you know, like it, I don't think there's a whole lot of in between. I think Um, maybe they're coming from the universe that I talked about last week where they don't watch uh, CBS All Access. So they're not watching Discovery. Well, and some people really against the J.J. Abrams movies we were just talking about against Discovery, even to a degree against, you know, the Enterprises and whatever else. I think there's a sort of a contingent of sci-fi fans, truck fans, and just casual viewers who, you know, just want, you comfort food right like they just they want and it's, orville's not hard to digest it's really yeah, no, it's, it's it's flintstones star trek you know yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah. Br- Br- brennan braga wrote the last week's episode like it's star trek next Who generation oh brennan braga is as uh, uh one of the writers from the original star trek next generation um very well known and established trek writer and he's now okay. a writer on the orville like okay. this, this is coming from a very star trek next generation place yeah i I find, I find that just, I mean, the whole set of, of the Orville, I mean, I, you know, I get that it's a future and everything's supposed to be clean and there's like little Roombas running around all the time cleaning the place, but it's too pristine for me. Yeah. You know, well, I think especially when they portray the characters as slobs too, like not everybody's, yeah. you know, in like, the like, future. Look, take, take Saru's bedroom, for instance, like he's got, you know, it's overgrown with, you know, vegetation, right? Like, you know, that's, that's how that man wants to live, right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, so here's the sidebar I want to go into because I've tried this for a couple of times and I know Jaime's a big user of Reddit and I know you are too I guess or not quite as big but not as big but I do I do how the hell do you read Reddit I've gone in a few times to try to like like it's just like it's like Reddit slash whatever but how do you get to the whatever I'm sorry, I don't understand. So, like, let me let me talk because I because well, I, I take a lot of Reddit homepage and I just scro- scrolling through. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. But I'm like, I'm not sure where the the magic in Reddit is. You know? Sure. So, uh, if you go to Reddit.com/r/slash, and then anything you type from that point is almost certainly like a thing that exists. Right. Uh, okay. Slash. You know, Star Trek slash Star Trek Discovery, um, the Orville, uh, House of Cards, those sort of things. If you can think of it, there's probably a Reddit or um, 
you know, similar. You can think of it like user-generated forums. Um, oh, okay, you know, everything right. reddit.com slash r that just tells the Reddit uh, site like, oh, you want to look at one of these subreddits or sub forums if you think of it that way. I suppose yeah. the, I suppose the the homepage is very much like the trending Twitter trending page, which I never go to. Right? Oh yeah, it's 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 utter chaos. I wouldn't even bother unless you really want to know the the pulse of the internet. Like I had to have a, a thirteen year old explaining me how to use Snapchat, right? But like, <laughs> and I kind of feel like I need a thirty year old explaining me how to use Reddit. You know? No, no, no. I I, I get why you're confused because got like animals and politics and video games and technology and funny and it's just this weird uh, chaos, like a completely unfiltered Twitter stream. Where I prefer to go more into the actual categories or specific subject matter. Well, that's what I mean. Do you do you like favorite things or do you follow threads or whatever or yep. forums or do you mark them as something I want to be notified about or? Yeah, I, I just personally I just go in uh, occasionally and be like, all right. Uh, I just watched the episode. Let me see what fans thought. Slash Orville and the way you go or whatever. Yeah. And, and then usually somebody somewhere has created the uh, live episode discussion and then the post episode discussion. Oh, so okay. I, I try to avoid the like right now. I'm not, obviously not going to go there because I have not seen the episode of the Orville while we're recording this very show. But then once I do, so I'll go in and see like, all right, what did people think? What did they pick up on that? I didn't catch. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Reddit or not is, is, is definitely separate, but I do think since you have gone this far i think you should watch uh last week's episode of the orville yeah it's just i've been trying to binge through the or get through the the high castle and i'm almost almost finished but it's funny like again like you know it's it's i, I really enjoy it but like the episodes are like 90 minutes long like crazy <laughs> yeah no it's uh i'm i this is the first time i can say this all season i'm looking forward to tonight's episode of the orville all right that's that's surprising it is it i, I and i appreciate that it's just uh yeah it was it was the first time where and and i can't say it was again it was it was probably the most entertaining episodes this season i would say but also it wasn't perfect and we'll get into that in our discussion next week i would uh, just yeah a little little teaser and this really is not related to the episode uh so i'll I'll put it out there the beginning of the episode in a very non-related to anything part of it is penny johnson as the doctor uh she's there and she's got her two little kids right penny johnson's 58 years old how old old is that little one he's gotta be seven eight maybe six seven like yeah mm-hmm. i just couldn't help but math that one out <laughs> that's true <laughs> well it depends on uh i don't actually know the character's age we, yeah they don't establish what her age is and maybe we're supposed to assume that you know by whatever century that is that they live in that uh you know uh, procreation that is at your discretion you can just you know pop a baby out whenever you'd like but she or, was or there and she, she was dish. who knows right she yeah she was she was mom and this kid in the first you know couple minutes of the episode and i found myself thinking she she looks like his grandma like it just it doesn't it's not working for me but we can digress into that next week i like anytime i have the opportunity to uh rail against penny johnson's acting i'm i'm down and i'm still <laughs> just the worst part of that show <laughs> what was she in before that you that you dislike her so much she was on castle for years oh uh, castle. And she was not what? Uh, she was the police captain so she oh, comes okay, in right. at season i think four maybe three four and is sort of 
rides it out to the end. And uh, of course, she's been she's been an actress for years, for, for you know, 20, 30 years. She's always been in different things. Um, and, and I've never been a huge fan. And um, yeah, I remember reading some of her uh, more controversial comments a few years ago, and that sort of soured me on her as a person, let alone her uh, her acting, which has always been a little questionable on my uh, for my tastes. But uh, yeah, it's well, like the the doctor on um, the Next Generation was it Maria Maldar was her name? Yeah, yeah, she, Diana, she, Diana, Diana Maldar. She she was actually a character in a lot of the original series, right? Yeah, she so, was on the yeah yeah yeah. Maria Maldar was a singer, wasn't she? Um, yes, yeah, but but Diane Maldar, like I just because she was like always the love interest for for William Shatner, right? But then she showed up as the doctor, and and I kind of wondered if that's why. I mean, because I look at what a lot, a lot of decisions that Seth MacFarlane must be involved in making um, in terms of who he's picking to play these different roles, right? Yeah, and they're all sort of they're all sort of. It's almost like watching Galaxy Quest, a TV show, you know? Yeah, you know, everything's like just a little off, but you know, like by Grabthar's hammer. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our watch list. Um, so I have to admit, so I, I'm often picking up things for the show and pacing them in when I'm on the streetcar or whatever, and I have I cannot for the life of me remember what the letter K is represented of of something. Something I was that's coming up that's starting with letter K. I don't remember, don't know what it is, or something I think you should watch that starts with the letter K. So, so to all our listeners out there, stay tuned, and as sometime in the future, Tim's going to have a great follow up in the watch list for something that yeah. starts with the letter K. Yeah, so this this week's episode is brought to you by the letter K. That's all I got. <laughs> I have to go through my... Because it could be on my iPhone history. It could be on my Mac history. It could be on my iPad history. I don't know. Something starts with K. It's going to be really good. That's a, that's a good teaser here. I'm in. <laughs> it may not be that Trailer good. for the trailer sort of exactly, thing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. The teaser for a future watch list. It could, even be a, it could even be a typo. It may not even actually be a K. It might just hit K on the keyboard. Anyway, um, so I, I don't know if you've seen this Pixar movie called... Uh, Basically, it's a, a a book, a movie called, or sorry, a short cartoon called Pearl, and it's about a ball of yarn that gets a job in an office with a bunch of guys who are all hanging around being guys and going off and having beers and stuff like that. And it, and it's all about. It's basically it's it's written by a, a, I believe it's written by a woman and directed by a woman, and it's basically about trying to fit into an office where you know it's just it, the workplace is not equal in any way. So, and and the headline here on this this note says. Pixar ball of yarn perfectly explains workplace inequality. So check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Have you seen it at all? Or no? It just popped up on my radar. On I think I saw a tweet on Twitter about it, and and you know some people were piling on to make com- positive comments about it. I must say, um, and I thought, oh, what's that? And so I went and clicked on it and watched it. And uh, it's about this ball of yarn who changes. I mean, I, I hate to be politically incorrect, but it's clearly meant to be an analogy about a woman working in a man's workplace, right? And she changes her behavior becomes more like them and says you know makes the bad jokes and all that kind of stuff and they start to accept her until another ball of yarn gets a job working in the place and then she kind of looks at the other ball of yarn and goes well maybe we should just be ourselves right and that's kind of uh, and then you know in the future there's you know men and balls of yarn all working in this in this office interesting yeah it, it's a short that covers the difference between integration and inclusion right exactly um, so i think it's definitely worth a watch i ended up seeing it i I think on some playlist where um, Academy Award winning short 
uh, Bao, also from Pixar, uh, came out. I also recommend that one as well. I don't know if we've talked about that in the show. No. no that, that, yeah, that's one this week, right? Yeah, yeah. That one's a good one about a um, Chinese or possibly Chinese-American mother, and she creates a uh, a little child out of um, the, the Bao, like the uh, Chinese pork bun. <laughs> really? I won't talk any more about that because it, it's, it's better to just see it spoiler-free. It's not very long. It's like five to eight minutes tops because these are shorts after all. So worth checking out. Sure. Okay, cool. So what do you got, uh, honey? I have a couple things here. Um, the first one is a uh, a YouTube video by Junk Ball Media uh, covering the first Enterprise D toy that came out back in like the 80s. Uh, oh, 1988. That was done by Galoob. Um, it's only a short video. It's about four and a half minutes. It covers this particular toy and uh, some of the details behind it. I have, uh, or I guess I guess I had one of these. Uh, not a brand new one. I had a used one. It was super cool. It was die-cast, heavy as hell, uh, sturdy, and it had saucer separation, just oh, like so the show. from the TNG, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Enterprise D, Galaxy Class Enterprise. How and, big was it? How big was it? Uh, well, he shows in his hands, it was probably mm, five to six inches on the longest point. Oh, okay, right, okay. So it, it, was, it was a big was pretty, plastic pretty, one, too, at one point, too, right? Yeah, this is not like one of those larger ones, and I was sort of mentally comparing it to um, the Micro Machines version that I had, you know, made out of plastic that were uh, like the size of a silver dollar. I don't know where the equipment oh, right. yeah, changes. Yeah. In, in, uh, we have silver uh, dollars here too. Uh, or maybe like a maybe like a 50 a cent toonie. piece. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. It's it's so hard because, you know, the, the size scale is different, you know, with little child hands. So I'm unclear how big it was. Um, and, and it's also kind of mentally comparing it to the more modern, uh, highly detailed, super expensive Eagle Moss models. No, this one was pretty good. I think it was like 5 to $10 back in the day. Uh, got mine used. My grandparents got it for me. Uh, used from like Goodwill or something, uh, which meant that the saucer separation I talked about, um, it would separate real well. It wouldn't stay together real well. So they <laughs> we had to get, we had to get like a little, like the little plastic tab or something that they show in this video. I'd never seen before because it had broken <laughs> off of mine. So we had um, like rolled up newspaper really or cardboard or something that would just like wedge in there when you wanted to not separate. Otherwise it dropped that thing on your foot. It would probably crack a toe. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's not on the market anymore <laughs> yeah yeah like i do not recommend doing die cast in that size that it was insane like it is probably uh no longer allowed by the uh the, the federal trade commission in the united states or something where it's like illegal because it could be used to murder another child sort of thing right right <laughs> nice what else you got there this one is an article by um matthew panzerino at TechCrunch. i must admit i have not read it because it is huge and i did not have but it's on my my reading list. Now I'm going to watch my reading list titled How Disney Built Star Wars in Real Life. And this is talking about the uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that's coming to Disneyland and Disney World. And it looks, I, I kind of skimmed through it really briefly, and it looks like it's pretty cool. It shows some info and some pictures about what Disney was thinking and the sort of approach they took towards crafting this experience. So I'm pretty excited about that and, and learning more about what sort of story and experience that they're trying to craft for uh, park attendees. I thought it'd be worth for, for people who are interested in the kinds of things we talk about in this show. Yeah, I've seen some of the pictures that have come out this week of uh, of different parts of it, and it, it's amazing. It's just, just just amazing the amount of work they put into this thing. Hmm. Like, yeah, the the little part that I read, uh, again, I said I kind of skimmed through it and wanted to sit and go to deeper reading because they purposely chose something that was new content 
words uh, with some familiarity so that you wouldn't feel like you're at a disadvantage if you're not 100% versed in um, the lore for Star Wars. It's, it's certainly, I'm sure, better if you are because you can get more of the, the subtlety and nuance and maybe some of the Easter eggs. But it sounds like they didn't want it to be intimidating for people who don't live and breathe and can you know argue back and forth about what the perfect watching order is for the whole uh, Star Wars saga. Cool. All right. What you got, Jonathan? Last but not least. So uh, as as mentioned at the opening of this episode, I have been uh, here in our beautiful nation's capital all week long and uh, in an effort to uh, be kind and uh, and gracious and a good husband, I am not watching ahead on Umbrella Academy without my beloved partner. So I decided to, uh, it was time to start getting back into the Marvel Netflix world and started back with season two of Jessica Jones, which I had not yet uh, caught on board. So I've binged my way through about halfway and uh, and it's uh, really great as I knew it would be. I, I, I one of the, Another one of those ones that makes you wonder why you wait so long for these things. But uh, I had always had that on the back burner because Netflix always feels like it's always going to be there as opposed to, you know, all the all the things that come up and uh, and it's great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to powering my way through the rest of that stuff. I'm uh, expecting to be sitting around the Ottawa airport for a while tomorrow. So uh, do a little Netflix downloading before I go to, uh, go to work tomorrow and uh, try and power through uh, a few more episodes tomorrow and, and finish that one off. It's, it's really good. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it eh? for the week. That's it. That's all. So, mm-hmm. Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. All right. And I'm Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on those same things, but Twitter is the best place to get a hold of me. And so, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpockCast website at SpockCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpockCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpockCast. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I forgot to tuck into our notes. Um, did you guys see that uh, Morgan Woodward died this week? Who is Morgan Woodward? He was uh, he was on a couple of episodes of the classic uh, original Star Trek series. He was um, he was in the first season in Dagger of the Mind. He was Doctor Simon Van Gelder, the, the the guy who's the director of the, the facility for the criminally insane. Remember that one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then he was in the second season as um, Captain Ron Tracy. He was best known for being on. Uh, he was on. Like, 
one of those actors you just immediately recognize him when you see him. But he was on um, Dallas and he was on Bonanza and he was on like all those shows in the 70s. And you look at his list and it's just like, yeah, Wagon Train, Days of Our Lives, Star Trek Bonanza, Gunsmoke. He was on the Logan's Run TV show as well. Uh, he was on the A-Team for a while. He was on, he made it into an episode of the X-Files. He was on, yeah, seven years on Dallas. Um, yeah, he's he, he was in Cool Hand Luke. He was in all kinds of stuff. Again, he's just one of those guys, one of those those guys guys where you see him all the time. But uh, yeah, two two classic Star Trek episodes. This guy was uh, a hand in. So I saw that they tweeted that out over their uh, social media channels this week. Yeah, I think he's the guy that I said was the, the guy who took over the prison and tried to melt um, Kirk's brain. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. Yep. So farewell to you, sir. He lived a very long, uh, long life. He died uh, age 93. Wow. Age. Yeah, he was the, the Bull Whip Master guy on the on the chain gang. Oh, and Cool Hand Luke? Yeah, Cool Hand Luke, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, he was a, uh, again, another one of those classic Hollywood that guys where you're like, I've seen that guy in everything for years. Yeah, true. Interesting. Hmm. Well, sad to see him go. Mm-hmm. Well, in 93 years, we should all be so lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and Peter Tork died too. Did you see that? I did. I did. He died uh, right before we recorded last week, and and uh, didn't know where that sort of fit into our overall milieu, other than to say he's been a part of pop culture uh, pretty yeah. indelibly for fifty years. Yeah. Well, the Monkees were an interesting thing. They were they were the first boy band or first type of band like that, I guess. Right. Well, they were the first that sort of contrived band, right? That there yeah. was the first one where yeah. they were like, "What if we put four good-looking kids together and got them some instruments and got uh, Boyce and Hart to write the music and stuff?" Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Neil Diamond, and yeah, eventually they wrote their own music because a couple of them were musicians. Mike Nesmith and Peter Tork, I think, were high school buddies or something like that. So, did you know how Mike Nesmith became rich, rich, rich man? Post-it notes? No, uh, whiteout. His mother invented whiteout. Whiteout. There we go. So I knew there was some sort of office supply that his family <laughs> yeah. was responsible mm-hmm. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, and and you're apparently quite well to do. You got to wonder how the uh, whiteout empire has dwindled in the era of uh, and tweets computer, and texts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they must have invested well it's like all those musicians who are now like well i know i'm 75 but i better get back out on tour because my royalty checks are drying up <laughs> the, the whiteout money is starting to dry up you're like damn it i thought we had yeah. it made yeah. peter frampton goodbye tour right i saw that he said he's got a, a mm-hmm. degenerative disease now wow yeah he said he's going to do one more tour this year and then he's going to retire because he's got a degenerative muscular disease that uh, is going to present him he said I, i'm pretty sure i won't be able to play the guitar by this time next year. Wow, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, geez. So it's, um, well, we've ended but, this episode on a high note. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. I, I completely stepped into that one. I didn't even know uh, that particular aspect. I just saw the, the news uh, um, title. Yeah. The headline. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they announced that he was going to go on a farewell tour. And I was like, oh, Peter Frampton's doing a farewell tour. I wonder, you know, again, he's an older man, obviously. He's been around for a very, very long time. And I saw the details. I was like, oh, my goodness. That's quite the reason to go on a farewell tour. Yeah. There's a guy mm. I've been watching on, um, on YouTube. I forgot the name of him now but he actually went to frampton's place and did an interview with him and yeah and he shows you know frampton's showing off some stuff he's been you know he played with david bowie and he played you know on his own you know, of course he had the frampton comes alive everybody in the 70s was issued a copy of frampton's comes alive comes yep. alive oh it's it's, yeah, a, so. it's a wayne's world joke but it's a true one i, I have a copy <coughs> i'm sure you had a copy back in the day it's yeah well it was, my sister had it yeah which i borrowed all the time yeah ubiquitous album and that uh performance of do you feel is one of the most iconic live performances of the decade yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny; it wasn't a, such a big, big uh, sing- 
singled back at the time. It was, uh, you know, the sort of the pop hits that, that were on the charts, and you know, people listen to that one occasionally. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's become the talk box, you know, uh, track, right? Anyway, so I, I seriously have to go binge watch the or- Orville and try and catch up on some more High Castle and get through that series. And yep, and you have to go and do your stuff, and Jaime has to go finish eating dinner or dessert or whatever. <laughs> yeah, gonna pack up my troubles. I finally get to go home uh, after uh, a week up here, so. Pack up my troubles and get ready to go in the morning. So, Woohoo. All right. Well, I'll see you guys next week. All right. Yeah. Let's let's look. Um, oh, I mentioned yeah, this yesterday. Next week, week you're in Japan. Yeah, and it, timing wise, might be difficult. Not because of the the time difference. It actually is way more convenient because it's like lunchtime, roughly. Yeah. But is there. it a day you're at the conference or your day off or? No, this one it looks like it'll conflict with a tour of the uh, Sony offices oh, right. that yeah. they offered for the the speakers. So, well, you can report back on the trip to Sony when you get back. Yeah. Is there is there any Sony Let's see. Um, I wonder if I can watch Into the Spider Verse before <laughs> well, before <laughs> heading over there, so I can know what I'm talking about. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that movie, right? Well, is it the development side you're going into, or the technology side? I mean, like, just about everything I own says Sony on it when it comes to my hi-fi system. I have no <laughs> idea what we're walking into. It could be PlayStation. It could be Sony Music. It could be, um, yeah, uh, Sony Motion, um, yeah, Motion Picture. All we're saying, could- Jaime, is maybe swipe us some stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, get us a nice Sony T-shirt. Yeah, for sure. Just you know, like a flat screen, whatever fits under your coat, whatever. We're yeah, good. extra large or double extra large. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. We're not proud. No, some Sony pins, you know, yep. mm-hmm. pins. PlayStation, whatever, whatever you see, whatever you see. Yeah. What are the chances you're going to run into some MTJC fans over there, or even Spotcast fans? That would be very, very interesting if that ended up happening. Do, do you have a Spotcast T-shirt to wear, as long as you, as well as your MJTC uh, shirts? Yeah, I do have a Spotcast shirt, and I'd have to think about which MTJC shirt to wear. Maybe I'll wear, um, maybe I'll wear that during the uh, the conference talk, since I am talking about helping developers buy podcasting. So it would make sense to represent the brand there. Yeah, it's so funny. You know, on for Christmas, I went went over to. I ordered a spotcast shirt for jonathan but didn't come in time so i went over to uh to this print on demand place on young street and you know got them printed like i made an illustrator version of the logo and took it over there and, and had them printed out and they do it in like five minutes or whatever it's, it's ridiculous and um so i got jonathan and, and xavier our number one fan um a t-shirt right and gave them for christmas but i but and then the one that i ordered from that uh, teespring because i you know the, the online one that we ordered um but the teespring people centered the crest like it's not supposed to be the word is supposed to be centered so it looks really weird have you noticed that jonathan on your shirt yeah it's it's not quite right but it you know <laughs> it's funny because you made the other one so the the one for xavier is white on green and yeah. so green's his favorite color yeah. the one you got made for me is white on black and then the one that came from them is the sort of more proper so it's a full color logo yeah, on yeah. a blue shirt so it looks very trekky and then on the back it's got the the yeah. urls and the where to find us yeah um but it's funny because xavier wears his all the time he wears it to school he wears it yeah. all over the place oh, really? he is our walking billboard which is awesome but he keeps saying i should have gotten the good shirt with the logo on the, the, the name shirt. on the back because yeah. no people are like, what's this podcast? I'm like, all right, well, we'll, we'll order you a shirt. If you're going to billboard for us, we'll order you a shirt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, we'll have to, uh, we'll splurge for our number one fan. We'll get him a shirt that's got the, the ways that people can find us. Well, we could also do that on the back of the print on demand. All right. All right. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you Have later. a good trip, Jaime.
All right, thank you. Yeah, have fun in Japan for sure. Konnichiwa and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we right. look forward to our presence. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.